Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. This is going to be a little different today, and I hope it's a nice change of pace. The three brothers sat around the fire. Each pop of the wood sent an ember on a twirling dance across the night, lending their beauty to the darkness for a brief moment in time. The last question hung in the air like a fog that shrouds all but the immediate surroundings. None of them knew the answer. They were young, but growing up without a father had only kept them together, but now it was also driving them apart. Like leaves in the wind, they each began to choose their own path, and these paths seemed to be leading them all in different directions. They had just finished a line camp job for the winter, and now that they had a pocket full of money, the decision needed to be made of what they would do next. One brother wanted to buy a faro table in a saloon. The lure of women and whiskey and quick cash, where the odds were forever in your favor, ate on him like a buzzard eats on a dead cow. Another brother wanted to just lay low for a while and not do anything. His effort was usually exhausted trying to get out of work than getting a job done. And the third brother, he was a dreamer. He was not especially fond of drowning in sweat, but he also figured if your feet were always kicked up that they'd forget how to get you where you were supposed to be. Lightning startled them all, and the fire hissed its displeasure at the few big raindrops that dared intrude. The brothers all made a mad dash for their cack and drug out their oiled slickers. Like the personal teepees, they each huddled under the only protection they had from the rain. The drops of liquid seemed to solidify each man's resolve to act on his desires. Life seemed to be too short for only the company of cows and cold coffee, and all three brothers dreaded the soggy slumber that would be sure to follow that night. Suddenly, their horses' heads looked up in unison, and the three cowboys tried to follow their gaze. Before they could see anything, a voice called out in a friendly manner, and into the soggy camp walked a man leading his mount. Y'all best be getting your cack together and come with me. This rain will make man and mud plumb miserable. I got a place about an hour's ride from here, and y'all's welcome to throw your bedrolls down at the ranch under a solid roof. With that said, he saddled up and just rode off. There was a mad scramble, and the three younger fellows were up and loping off in the direction the stranger had set out. They passed a bunkhouse and rode up to a barn with a set of corrals next to it. The man didn't say anything but motioned for the boys to follow and do as he did. With the horses tended and the tack put away, he bid them follow to the big ranch house. Inside, they found a big living area with a huge rock fireplace. The fire was warm and inviting, and the boys looked around for the missus of the place, but they didn't see anyone except their host. He poured them all a cup of coffee and stood in front of the fire to dry away the dampness that had intruded despite the slicker. Where y'all boys headed, the cowboy finally asked over the steaming cup of coffee. Four or five different answers were offered, but everyone in the room knew that they didn't know. After a long silence, the man stated that he was looking for some cowboys to help him on the ranch. He'd be leaving on a trip and needed some hands to tend the place that he'd built with his own two. He'd, built, he'd pay a meager wage, but they'd never be without food or shelter or clothes. Before they could answer, he got up and walked to a big picture window that seemed to overlook the ranch. Glimpses of a long valley could be seen in the lightning flashes. He turned and motioned for them to stand beside him. All four men, three of them just being a hair past that description, stood with coffee cups and stared out the big window. 
Finally, the man spoke. What do you see? The little boy gazed in wonder at the very spot his grandfather had stood those many years before. He turned back and said, Well, you can't stop there, Grandpa. What did y'all see when you looked out that window? The old man smiled and looked back in remembrance. It was so dark. So it was, it was, well, it was dark, so it was pretty tough to see anything. But the funny thing is, we all seen something completely different. What do you mean, Grandpa? Well, my older brother saw a job. He ended up working there for a while, but he eventually left unhappy. He was looking for money, and you'll never find satisfaction in that. The old man got up and walked over to the window and stood there next to his grandson. My younger brother saw the easy road. Some people play the first card that they're dealt because they don't have to think, work, or make a decision. He never liked to expend much effort on anything more than being lazy. He eventually left the ranch in search of an easier way of life. The young boy reached out and touched the window as if it had some magical quality. In a low voice, he said, This place could have been theirs too if they would have stayed, huh, Grandpa? I've thought about that question a lot, son, but you know what? I don't think so. They weren't looking at life through the right window. Why not, Grandpa? You stayed on the ranch and it was given to you. Well, the ranch was given to me that night. I just didn't know it. When we woke up the next morning, the ranch owner was gone and we, we never saw him again. Of course, we didn't know that he wasn't ever coming back. After quite a spell and after my two brothers had gone, I went in the big house to check on things. And in the master bedroom, laying on the bed, was the deed to this place with my name on it. But it also had something else written on the front of the envelope. The boy's eyes were wide as he asked, What did it say? Well, you can't understand what it said, son, until you know what I saw when I looked out this window. Take a close look. Do you see it? The boy turned his attention back to the window and said, It's dark outside. I can't, I can't see anything. It is in the darkest times that you can see it most clearly. Relax. Don't try so hard. It's right there in front of you. The young boy was trying so hard, and his grandfather didn't want him to feel like a failure, so he gently guided his grandson's gaze. My brothers looked through this window for gain, and an easy road. The old man squatted down behind the boy and pointed. I saw only the love of the man that rescued us that night. Do you see it? After three or four heartbeats, the young boy yelled, I see it, Grandpa! I understand! In the lighted living room on a dark night, the little boy saw through the eyes of understanding for the first time the reflection of the wooden cross hanging above the fireplace behind them. The old man pulled out an envelope and handed it to the boy. On it were the words, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. John 14.2 What do you see when you look through the window of your life? By what lens do you see the world? By what Through what lens do you see what you were meant for? Anything other than the complete, unending, and undying love of God. Anything, if you look through the lens of anything else than the fact that God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Unless you understand one thing, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. You will never see eternity. You will never understand Christianity to be anything more than a set of rules and a set of do's and don'ts and a part-time or full-time job that leaves you empty. What lens do you look through the world? Anything other than complete 
unending, undying love of God will leave you wanting, waiting, and searching for something that was always right there in plain sight. Because of God's love for us, he has rescued us. The love of God came down in human form and rescued us out of the darkness. Life has many trails that lead to saltwater promises. What do I mean by that? Have you ever seen anybody, you know, in, in a movie or something like that, they're stranded on a boat and they ain't got no water, but they're surrounded by it. But as soon as they take a drink of it, that very water is the very thing that will end up being their death. That's what happens when we follow all of these other trails of life instead of Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And he said, wide is the road to destruction and narrow is the path. Many search for it, but few find it. You are in a position today to be shown that narrow trail to be shown the love of God, to know that he rescues us away from those saltwater promises that the devil throws in front of each and every one of us. Some look at Christianity and the life that we are all supposed to live. Some of us look to Christ for gain, just like the older brother. We look for, for gain maybe socially or, or financially or physically. It breaks my heart that I see Christians walk up and put their, their quarter's worth of faith, if they even have any. It's usually a token. It's not even the real thing. They put their quarter's worth of fake faith in the machine and press D3 for whatever their prayer of the day is and expect that it's going to fall to the bottom. And that's, the, that's their relationship with Christ as a vending machine looking for gain. To salt water promises of this life. And you know what the devil has convinced us that all you have to do is say a few words like, you know, oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh, great. Well, now that that's done, I can go do whatever I want to. He's a genie in a vending machine that's going to answer every prayer I got. They ain't got the first clue of what following Christ is actually like. Some look to Christ for gain and some look to Christ for only relief. Consequences of sin, debt. Or problems. Their need is not of him, but of what he can do to make their life easier. Don't get me wrong. I love when Jesus says that, uh, cast your burdens upon me. I love that. He wants to help us. But if the only reason you're going is so somebody else can take care of it for you, you miss the whole point. God is our rescuer. He loves us so much that he sent his son in the darkest of nights to die on a cross so that we could be together. The love of God came down in human form and rescued us from sin forever. You want to know why some of us, some of you are still struggling with sin? Why are you still struggling with sin? Even though you've given it to God, you've said what you're supposed to say, you're, you've prayed, you've done this, you've done that, you've done this, why are you still struggling with it? You have let Jesus pay the price for past and present sins, but are now trusting in yourself to not sin anymore. Let me rephrase that for a second. When you come to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you, you, know, you ask for forgiveness of your sins, that usually includes the present and the past. But some semi-legal uh, faith that we trust Jesus to forgive our past and our present sins, but we do not depend on him for our future belief is a semi-legal way of looking at it. We trust in God for the forgiveness of past and present, and then we try to depend on ourselves to complete the perfection and not upon God. You must depend wholly, 100%, 
on God, the same kind of faith that you knew forgive you for the past and the present is also the forgiveness that is available for all of our future because believe me, believe you me, you will sin again. You will, it's inevitable. We live in a fallen world. There are so many things. If we could keep from sinning, we wouldn't have needed Christ in the first place. And there has only been one sacrifice made, only one. So it had to count for past, present, and future, for there is no more atonement that can be made. There is no more sacrifice to be made. We cannot have this semi-legalistic faith where we depend upon Christ for our past and our present, but then depend upon ourselves for the future to be truly saved, to the truly saved. This forever forgiveness sets them free. Because what I'm telling you right now is that nothing you can do if you have truly, truly called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. The Bible says so. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not angels, nor demons, nor life, nor death. Nothing can separate us. Paul goes on to say that does this mean that we can go do whatever we want? No. It sets us free to truly follow Christ. To the truly saved, this forever forgiveness sets them free to follow Christ and do his will. To be semi-saved is to be truly lost. Did you hear that? To be semi-saved is to be truly lost. And my question to you today, are you saved 100% 100 past, present, future? There is no doubt in your mind, no ifs, no ands, or buts. You were all in. There is nothing holding you back. Or are you just kind of saved? I've got some bad news because kind of saved is permanently dead. There is no such thing as a little bit saved. To be semi-saved is to be lost, and the lost will call on this forgiveness to follow their selfish desires. They will look at this forever forgiveness and go, man, I can do whatever I want to now. I ain't got to worry about feeling guilty whenever I go do those things that I know I'm not supposed to do. Man, I have got the ticket, the golden ticket. Now I can go do whatever I want to do. I can continue to live in sin, and I'll be just fine because I've said those little magic words, I believe in Jesus. doesn't work like that. We must depend on Christ, our rescuer, 100%. 100% of the time for a 100% forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. We depended on him for our salvation. We must depend upon him for our perfection. He rescues us. What is the window you look out into the world in? What, I mean, what, what do you look through? If you truly understand that God loves you, you will see how far he actually went to rescue us. You will also see how much he is our provider. Doug actually said something about that. He didn't know what my sermon was going to be because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. Is God your provider or is your measly works, is your employer your provider? Where is the source of what takes care of you? How is it that three brothers can be at the same place doing the same things with the same opportunity and only one will make it to the end? Why is that? They all had the same thing offered to them. Why did only one make it? Some see following Christ as a list of rules. Some see Christ, some see following Christ as a list of chores. Some see following Christ as merely another entrepreneurial venture. Well, I've tried everything else, so maybe I'll try this Jesus thing out. Some fellas on TV, they tell me I can be rich and have all this stuff if I just kind of start going to church a little bit and stuff like that. 
Some see following Christ as a hobby or a part-time duty to be performed when you're not busy with the more important things in life. How do you see following Christ? Do you see it as the only thing worthwhile in your entire life? Or do you see it as the Sunday morning sit down at church and hear some good news type thing only to be forgotten in the trials and tribulations of life? When you don't understand something, if you read the Bible, the Old Testament talked about the coming of Christ, our need for a Savior, the fact that no matter how many ways God did for the sacrifices to to make us on his level, to bring us closer to him, we never could do it. For a split second, we might have been forgiven, but the blood of bulls and goats could not take away the sins forever. Only the blood of Christ who lived that perfect life. The Old Testament spoke of his coming and our need for a Savior. The Gospels talked about Christ is here. Acts talked about Christ, his church revealed. Paul's letters explained Christ. And Revelation talks of his coming again. Will you be ready? He is coming in your lifetime. And I don't mean that in some uh, sort of weird, you know, we're all going to gather together on bunk beds or out in a pasture and hold hands and, you know, here comes Jesus type thing. But every one of you will meet him in your lifetime. Not some future, not 3,000 years from now. Because the second that your heart stops, you will give an account of how you lived your life. Not what you did, but through what lens that you looked through your life and what you did. So don't think that this is a 3,000 years from now, Christ is coming back. He's coming back for you in your lifetime. More aptly put, the millisecond after your heart stops and your soul leaves this shell that we're all living in. Some see following Christ as rules or chores or ventures or duties. When the Bible says, do not do this, do you look at that as something that's keeping you away from having fun? Or do you see through that every word of that Bible speaks of God's unending love for us? So much so that it is not offense. The rules in the Bible, they're not rules to keep us away from having fun. They are guardrails on the edge of a winding cliff high up in the Andes Mountains to keep you from going over. We should thank God for the things that are in the Bible when he says, don't do this. Or we should give thanks and give everything that we've got when he says, be joyous, be gracious, be kind. Show the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Guys, those are the things that's important. We can get up here on a weekly basis and we can have fun and we can laugh and we can joke and everything like that. But let us not miss the most important thing. God loves you with all of his heart. Some see following Christ as the only thing worth doing. Some see following Christ as the only thing that matters. Willing to give up everything, everyone, and even dying to themselves to follow a man that holds the truth to what our, our heart longs for in the hand, in his hand that he offers every single one of us. Everything you could ever need is found in him. Isn't it amazing how we go check every other gate just to make sure and we get lost along the way? These people that have decided to follow Jesus Christ with everything that they have, they taste life while others chase after it. They experience life while others merely look for it. These people trade everything for the one thing and the only thing that can provide perfect perfection, provide, protect, and fulfill the promise that our heart longs for. He is our rescuer. 
He is our provider. What window are you looking at? What does your life say on the other side of it? What does your life say reflected in it? The last thing I want to tell you, Jesus came so that we could have perfect union with our true fathers. Not our earthly fathers, with our true fathers. Men will let us down. Parents will let us down. But God is our true father in heaven. He is our real dad. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What is your name? What is your inheritance? What is your legacy that you will leave behind? Is it merely some letters strung together with a vocalization? Weatherby? Is that, is that our name? What, what, is the, what is the inheritance that my kids will, uh, will inherit? Is it, is it just a, a few measly dollars that, that could be gone tomorrow? Is it a little piece of property? Or is it eternal life? Is it shown the way? What is your name? What is your inheritance? What is your legacy? Do you know who you are? Did you know that those of us who call ourselves Christ's followers, if I were to ask you, who are you? Most of them would not be able to answer. Most Christians are completely wrong. I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to raise your hand. And please don't say amen because I don't want to embarrass you. But how many times has us as followers of Christ referred to ourselves by saying we are sinners saved by grace? That is completely wrong. You are not a sinner saved by grace. Why? Because at one moment, you were a sinner saved by grace. But you are no longer a sinner if you have called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible no longer calls us sinners. What does the Bible call us? It calls us children of God co-heirs with Christ. Paul calls us a new creation created in Christ Jesus. And think about that. If you are to be called a one of God's kids, inheriting everything, a co-heir of Christ, to inherit eternal life through your faith in, in, in God's Son, we are the bride of Christ. We are new creations, and it just I just want to choke people that instead of calling themselves kids of Christ or new creations or something like that, they choose to refer to themselves as sinners. How very, very, very sad is that, that we don't even realize who we are, of what is offered to us, what is available to each and every one of us that call on him. This has been a little different, and I know it, but I knew no other way to tell you what God asked me to tell you except through a story and a brief summation of what it meant, that he is our rescuer, that even in the darkest days that some of you are going through right now, if you know what to look for, you will find it. What lens do you see when you look out of the window of your soul? What do you see? God sent me today, and hopefully every single Sunday, to bring you the good news. And this good news is this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. There, there, there's, there's really nothing else. He loves you more than life itself, and what he asks is for the same in return. He wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you so bad that he allowed his son to be beaten beyond all recognition and crucified on a cross so that you could be made perfect through his son's blood. He wants to rescue you, not just from the problem, but from death. He wants to save you. He wants to provide for you. Will you let him, or will you continue to put your faith in dollar bills, in four walls of fancy homes, or ranch gates at the pavement. 
he wants to be your dad. I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you so. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, Jesus is saying everything that I have just said in some form or fashion. He has given them the flat-out truth. He didn't speak a parable about it or anything like that. He just told people the truth. And you know what some of the disciples, and I'm not talking about the 12. I'm talking about the entourage that followed Jesus everywhere. You know what they said? They said, this is hard teaching. Who can do this? And in John chapter 6, verse 66, I always remember it. John 6, 6, 6, it says, and from that day forth, many of the disciples left and no longer followed him. But Jesus turns to Peter and says, will you leave me too? And I hope that Peter's answer is your answer. When Peter said, where else could we go? You are the, in your words are truth and only in you can we find life. Listen up, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. You want to hear the most exciting news since the invention of toilet paper? Save the Cowboy wants to start a church in your area. We have a new program called Save the Cowboy Line Camps, and if you've been wishing that there was a Save the Cowboy in your area, then God is probably laying it on your heart to help me start one. Just go to savethecowboy.com and you can email me for more information. Hey, do you have horses? If you do, then you need to call my friends Rod and Brenda Denning at Hitch and Post Hay. This is where I get all of my hay and Fiona loves it. Call them at 303-324-8217 and tell them that you heard about them from Save the Cowboy and they'll donate 5% of the sale to our mission to reach cowboys and cowgirls. Give Hitch and Post Hay a call for premium quality horse hay at 303-324-8217.